Hey, welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a pretty loaded episode for you today. Hope you have plenty of time to sit back and really digest this one. On today's episode, we have the CEO, new CEO of the APTA, Justin Moore. Justin's a really interesting guy based on his history, but mostly based on his view of the profession and the APTA itself, the one that gives me hope and excitement for the future of the APTA. We go into so many topics in this podcast, I can't even I can't even describe all of them to you in the beginning, but some of them are going to probably rub a bunch of you the wrong way, but I think most of them are going to get you excited for this profession. Some of them will be controversial, and that's okay. I think we need to have these conversations. So I hope you enjoy it. Please let us know what you think. We definitely want to talk about some of these topics. And I'll be seeing Justin at the Ascend event. He's a presenter as well. So if you have questions, we can do a live Q&A. All right, let's hear a word from our sponsor and then on to Therapy Insiders. You know, we're big fans of business here at Therapy Insiders and UpDoc Media. That's why I'm incredibly excited to attend and present with my partner, Dr. Ben Fung at Ascend Business Summit in Fort Worth, Texas on September 9th and 10th. Stick around to the end of this episode where I share a little bit more information about the Ascend Business Summit as well as a special discount code for you our listeners just because well you're awesome for a hundred dollars off of your tickets now let's get into this episode of therapy insiders podcast with our guest justin moore Insiders Podcast, Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Urson Religioso. Urs, how you doing, man? I'm well. How about you, Gene? Not too bad. So you you recently went to the dark side or the dark tube and you had an MRI on your wrist because you, you comped out and you went with, with the, the establishment, you son of a bitch. I comped out. Yes, I know. I'm full of thought viruses now. It actually filled my head full of pathoanatomy and thought viruses. <laughs> Magnetic thought viruses. How did it go? It was just exactly as my patients described it. Um, I didn't even know because when I talked to the guy who did the intake, who literally was taking uh, my history on uh, like a little scribble notepad, he's like, don't mind a notepad. Uh, I'm very new here. I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know, he asked me the same questions 500 times and whatever. So, so how, how, you know, this is just my wrist. Am I actually going to go in a tube? He said, no, you're going to be sitting in a chair. You're just going to have your arm in the tube. Right. So clearly he's never seen this before because I don't think he's allowed in the room. <laughs> and now we know why. Yeah. So I ended up being prone and my arm was over my head. And I just asked the guys like, what do you do if someone's in so much pain? They can't put their arm over their head. And he said, well, we, we kind of like, you know, we make do, but it's, it's tough. So yeah, it, you know, I felt like I was going into two, but I had no idea because I was prone and I was lying uh, with my head over a pillow and um, there were no over rolled towel. And so it kind of felt like I was moving forward. And yeah, they put, uh, you know, they put the edge on the, the rock station. So I like that because of the edge, but it was, it was as if you were uh, listening to a radio station at level one volume while you're inside a jackhammer. So, um, 
but you know, because I have so many kids, I actually fell asleep similarly to how the last time I actually had a tooth extracted and they were drilling and everything. And I actually fell asleep during that too. So, you know, anytime you get a chance to relax and, and not have like constant asking for things or cutting you apples and whatever, it's, uh, no matter how loud it is, it's pretty relaxing. Yeah. I mean that, that, that's a, like, 100% parent story there. Like it, it, I heard, I heard a jackhammer pounding on my head, but you know what? It was a jackhammer away from everything else that I could just close my eyes and you're gone. Yeah. I mean, it was, he said it would be 15 minutes and about halfway through, I was like, Oh, I have a tooth feeling. Is this going to go flying out of my head through my brain? <laughs> I don't have the results yet. So I have no idea what's going on with my wrist swelling that's not resolving and, and the pain that accompanies it because I wouldn't care about swelling only. Got it. But it was, it was a new experience, right? Like you got, you got to go through something and now you can, now you can relate better with others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that if I was lying supine and I was claustrophobic, I could absolutely see that that would be a really uncomfortable experience being in a tube that pretty much looks like you're going into stasis from some sci-fi movie and then listening to music that you preferred but you can't really hear it and everything else is just like constant pounding in different tones and um so yeah it would be uncomfortable i mean i, I didn't necessarily care but yeah it was, it was interesting and the, the whole experience of even just having pain you know, has really, I think, increased my empathy because I think one of the requirements now of having empathy, I would say, is that you have to go through pain that's not resolving before you tell a patient everything's going to be okay. Yeah, my um, my only experience with, with a similar thing was years ago, it was actually a CAT scan and um, I had abdominal pain and um, ended up going to the ER eventually when, when my wife was my fiance at the time forced me to like typical guy. I was like, no, I'm fine. Like while I'm like cold, cold sweat and, um, can't, can't do anything. So I was like in the early stages of, uh, appendicitis, like right before it, it really flared up, but, but he, he was just, um, getting worse. And, um, so I remember getting injected with a dye and that, that was like, that was still to this day, maybe one of the oddest feelings I ever had because they're like well your, your, your insides are going to feel cold and then hot like what, what are you talking about like when they injected literally like you could almost feel each one of your your veins and arteries being being um like pounded with this this liquid and then being put into the cat scan so it was like first I had that tube and on top of it, my body was just like going through this, this chemical change that I've never experienced still to this day that was such an odd feeling that sure sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, but it, like you're going through the the process, the steps, and it, that's why trust is so critical with healthcare providers in the hospital. Like when you're going through an experience you've never had, especially when you're in in a ton of pain. Like obviously you you were more on an outpatient level, but when you get admitted to the hospital and you have no idea what's going on, and these people, these these relationships that you that you have to make within split seconds, uh, w w that will determine how comfortable somebody is and and how how little fear they have because everybody's going to have fear that at that point, just the fear of the unknown fear of the, will I get better? What, what's going on with me? And then that's why it's so important to have that, that awareness and it, it's customer experience. And it's a lot of things just, just being a decent human being a lot of times. Yeah. I was surprised, you know, um, 
if you guys follow me on Facebook Live, you would know that I thought I was having my MRI last week and I was scheduled for it, but I ended up at the wrong place. And I didn't broadcast that live, but uh, everyone is super accommodating. Uh, I've probably ne never had nicer schedulers and front office people and intake, intake people. I mean, every single member of the staff, it was like Disney World if you've ever been to Disney World, how everyone is very um, programmed, or Wegmans if you have a Wegmans in your area. Sort um, of shop. Love, yeah. love me some Wegmans. That's right. Everyone there, great customer service, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of new experiences, Arson, our guest today has been kind of going through a new experience on a larger scale level. So why don't you go ahead and introduce him and then he can share his, his transition to, to his new gig. Yeah, it's an exciting transition. Our guest tonight is from an organization you may have heard of if you've been listening to this podcast. I hope you have heard of it. It's the APTA. Never and, heard of it. Yeah, well, you know, you should probably look it up. Google it. Um, it's .org. And uh, it's Dr. Justin Moore, who's been with the APTA for, I think, was it, what, 18, 20 years before he now uh, resumed or he got the role of CEO in June, was it? Was it recently? Yeah, it's uh, been officially since July 1st, but I've been juggling a couple different roles since uh, mid-April. Wow. So, yeah, congrats. Welcome to Therapy Insiders Podcast. I think we have a, a lot of questions for you from our listeners. Oh, great. I appreciate the invitation and looking forward to the discussion and dialogue. Absolutely. But before we get to the questions, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about some issues, some things like that. But honest, at this point, I really want to know your story. I want to know what got you in into the APT first. Um, um, obviously, it's it's an important it's an important institution it's an important organization but it also needs to be a lot more than a brick and mortar place right it needs to stand for something an identity uh, Ben Ben Fung and I partner Ben partnered up Doc we did a video and I remember you you saw it Justin about um, we asked a lot of people why are you not an APTA member because that was more interesting to us than the people that are members we wanted to know where, where the disconnect is and we we got over 500 answers and we kind of Try to make it as, as 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 data and analytical as possible, and it you know we, we got a good dialogue going, and from that I got to kind of got to know you, and I heard a lot of things about you, and they were all positive, which which you don't usually hear a lot about that from in leadership, especially in corporations. So as you were coming up, I was really excited to hear where you came from and, and the roots that you kind of laid to kind of get where you are. So why even get started with APTA 15, 20 years ago? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I was like many of uh, physical therapists out there starting my career and working in an outpatient uh, uh, orthopedic practice associated with a hospital. I was actually an employee of a contract company, um, but was sort of at that two-year gap in my career, you know, two years into my clinical practice and had sort of mixed uh, clinical practice and in my interests there with an interest in advocacy and an interest interest in policy. And so 17 years ago, uh, APTA was going through a battle on the state legislative front uh, to protect physical therapists' ability to perform manipulation. And there was an, a pretty big assault uh, being waged at that time, trying to restrict manipulation 
uh, to chiropractic only. And uh, at that time, APTA decided with this battle that maybe bringing a clinician in would be good to help with the advocacy efforts. So I was sort of a guinea pig at that time and came on staff. And instead of teaching a lawyer or a policy person how to explain, explain manipulation, I was that guinea pig who they said, let's take somebody who was in the clinic doing that and you know we can teach them policy and politics and how to be an advocate. And so that was 17 years ago. And so cut my teeth in state government affairs, working with a lot of our state chapters on scope of practice issues. And then sort of uh, took a couple different roles at APTA over those past 17 years, uh, but mainly spent most of my time representing APTA on Capitol Hill and being our primary in-house lobbyist, collaborating with our some of our external consultants uh, to work on issues such as direct access, uh, therapy cap, um, VA issues, Department of Defense issues, and really spent a lot of time um, learning and trying to hone both my interest and my expertise in public policy. Uh, the last step on the journey that has sort of led me to where I'm at today was I spent the last six years uh, managing the lobby team, the state government affairs team, uh, payment issues, um, dealing with commercial and federal payers, and then also just recently over the last 18 months have uh, sort of began to manage the communications and public affairs efforts and doing that in collaboration with a lot of staff, uh, but sort of spent some time uh, working on that project uh, or working with PR and communications. So that's that's sort of my route at APTA, and then as uh, Erson said, I spent I, on July first. I took a new role here, and uh, you know my kind of the old wedding saying, you know something new, something old, something blue. Uh, uh, it's very new. There's a lot of something news. Um, I have uh, I'm in a different office, and so it's very daily reminder that I'm, I'm walking into a new job. But my commute's the same every day, so uh, there's also a reminder that uh, I didn't have to go, you know, figure out a new commute, figure out where to park, uh, figure out where things are located. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know what's blue in the new job, but uh, there's definitely been a lot of new and a lot of old. Oh, do you have I'm a better sure. view? There's got to be something blue. I do have a better view. I uh, My view now is of the river and not of the road, um, but it, I kind of missed the old view because it was, there's not a lot of action uh, on the river. There was a lot of action on the sidewalks and road. Well, a river's kind of bluish, right? Yeah, that, I guess that would be. That's the something blue. There you go. There you go. It all worked out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, look, it, it's it's a cool it's a cool transition. I think it's it's always great to see um, kind of the the path, the journey from one point, and usually get pulled into something unexpectedly, and and to see the evolution. And we we've, we've talked about this before. Like we we have every single episode of this podcast from the get go. We've never cut out some of our first ones, which were pretty pretty crappy uh, but we, we left it in there just because we, we love to see the evolution it, it's great to, to listen back and and just to see not only how we've improved in in our interview skills in the technical aspects but just to see how topics have evolved what would you say like over your 17 years at the APTA how has that transition been you've kind of got to see a lot of different issues what do you think are some of the most interesting um 
kind of uh, growth elements or just just things that you you've kind of kept an eye on that that it's like a time lapse video that from there to now that that are that are worth talking about. Yeah, I think that, you know, if I looked at how the role of associations has really evolved in the last 17 years, probably the biggest change we've seen is in communications. And we saw that very early sort of with grassroots involvement of the association. And when I started in, in government affairs at APTA, we had the luxury of time in communications. So we could, you know, get information from Capitol Hill, take our time to kind of analyze it, read it, and then push it, you know, and, and, and communicate with our members. That is now 17 years later, instantaneously. So anyone listening to this podcast or, or the two of you are getting information from Washington instantaneously. So the association's role is no longer just to be a channel of communications, but to really help um, make that information and those communications relevant. And I also think that's sort of one of our biggest challenges is it's no longer, people are no longer looking to the association as a source of information. They're looking at, at it to a source of what's relevant in that information. And, you know, we have to get better all the time of really changing that paradigm and, and making sure that, you know, we're, we're making the information relevant, not just accessible. It's interesting when when you talk about transitions. I mean, actually, I'm I have to say as an aside, I'm just happy that I'm not like the old man on the podcast anymore. In at least in terms of how long I've been out of school, I don't know how old you are, Justin, but every single every single person on there has only been like, yeah, I'm in like early 30s, or I've been out five six years, and like, geez. So I'm glad that uh, I have another veteran on the podcast tonight. But I remember for 18 years ago uh, when I graduated, Kairos were coming after us in New York, and I helped. Uh, my mentor at the time, Dr. Ron Schenk, we put together a packet and he went to uh, Albany and uh, lobbied against the chiropractors there. And they pretty much, just two chiros went and they their only defense was, we know how to, to manipulate and they don't. And then we put together this huge packet of research that showed all this you know, how, how it's taught in the curriculum and how we teach it and we're fellowship trained and there's residencies and then they kind of just looked back to the Kairos and they pretty much just shrugged and they were like, okay, you guys can manipulate. I mean, it was, <laughs> they weren't that prepared back then. Um, so, uh, you know, other than transitions and, you know, you kind of mentioned what the APT's roles were, I was curious, um, I know acupuncturists are pretty much going after us, but what are, what are some other big fights that you've seen over the years? Because I really don't hear a lot about Kairos going after us as much as acupuncture seem to, at least these days. Yeah, I think that's sort of the next version of this constant turf battles that we've seen across healthcare. And uh, that's, you know, obviously with the dry needling and acupuncture issue, that is the next version of one profession saying an intervention is their exclusive domain. And, you know, we, we often in physical therapy get categorized by our interventions versus being a profession. And so we've sort of always been in that area of can we do X intervention without an appreciation for that intervention is just part of a larger scope of practice. And so we spend a lot of resources kind of fighting these fires or this, you know, essentially um, one fire goes out on manipulation, then it's EMG or electromyography, then it's dry needling or it's wound care and sharp debridement. And so those, 
those interventions that sort of multiple professions use as part of their practices are really susceptible to those turf battles. And, and, you know, you identified the one that's currently hot right now, and that is, you know, acupuncturists um, believing that dry needling is an infringement on their scope of practice and that physical therapists are not qualified to provide that intervention. And so far, you know, that's that's played out both in legal and in, in state legislative venues. And I think the biggest concern about um, some of these scope of practice issues is they're starting to become more legal than uh, legal battles as well as legislative battles. And, um, you know, that sort of uh, shows you how much is at stake in healthcare today uh, that the venue is no longer legislative but uh, legal. I think it's pretty safe to assume that scope of practice battles are never going to die down. It's just what the new thing and new group is going to be that that feels we're we're stepping on our on their toes and vice versa. And um, it's just, just going to happen as as we grow, as the market changes, as people, as, as professions fight for for customers instead of kind of working together and figuring out how we can maximize it and which customers are we not getting. I think it's going to be ongoing. But Urson Urson made a really interesting point: is that he hasn't heard about a lot of these things and i know because uh, you know we, we we speak with you and, and other members of the apta that you guys work on a lot of things that we never hear about mm-hmm. what would you say what would you say that some of the biggest things that you wish that members and non-members would know that are not very often spoken of or even known um, I think probably the ongoing issues of maintaining the state of practice, whether that's scope of practice at the state levels, um, our state affairs department analyzes thousands of pieces of legislation, and none of them sort of rise to a threat, uh, but they're always percolating out there. So I, I describe the state legislative department here at APTA sort of like TSA. Um, you know, we don't hear about all the um, times they stop something. Something. We only hear about when somebody gets through the system or when there is something that is of high profile or activity that gets a lot of attention. And so, you know, there are multiple states dealing with the dry needling issue, but we hear a lot about North Carolina because that one's a legal battle and it's high, um, high interest across the profession. Um, but I think that's sort of the, the one of the biggest things that happens on a daily basis at APTA that we actually hope uh, no one hears about because we're doing our job when those things kind of stay uh, from being a fire and stay from being a major issue. If we can kind of attack them on the front end, do the education of legislators or of our advocates and prevent those from being um, resource intensive from a volunteer, from a resource standpoint, uh, that's sort of the role of the association and sort of something that uh, we hope we can continue to do at a high level. And I think just full circle is that, you know, when I came here to APTA manipulation, you know, I think the first year was 20 to 25 different states had active legislation on manipulation. That continued for multiple years. And so over a course of about five years, there were probably over 100 bills introduced that would have restricted physical therapists from performing manipulation. And we were able to fight all those back. Um, you know, we've, we've even sort of gone after the three states that had some restrictions on manipulation and had success of restoring um, their physical therapist's ability to practice to the full extent of their educational license. 
Hope you're enjoying this episode of Therapy Insiders thus far with our guest Justin Moore. Promise you there's plenty more to come. But right now, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Ascend Event, which is the ultimate business summit for rehab professionals. Check out ascendevent.com to get your tickets. Now, I promised you a discount code for being an awesome Therapy Insiders listener, and you get just that. Head over to ascendevent.com and type in code Therapy Insiders to get $100 off each ticket. Pretty cool, right? So, what is Ascend Event? I'm sure you've been hearing us talk about it, and Dr. Ben Fung and I are presenting at this year's event talking about digital marketing and how important it is for businesses. So we're really, really excited about it. But it's not just for business owners. It's not just for CEOs. It's not just for COOs. If you are working in a business, you should know that business because it helps you understand how everything runs. It helps the team come together. But I also wanted to learn a little bit more about Ascend and some of the speakers and what what was the genesis of it? So I grabbed Dr. Heidi Janenga, president and co-founder of WebPT, to give us a little breakdown on it. So Heidi, why start a business conference? Uh, you know, we really felt like when you put, and you're able to put the brightest minds in private practice PT, and even OT for that matter, together in one setting, truly incredible things can happen. So with Ascend, we wanted to create a very innovative environment that uh, you have the opportunity when you attend to discuss the ever-evolving world of business and learn from those who have kind of been there and done that, been there in your shoes for that matter, um, and that will challenge you to kind of bring your private practice to that next level. And like you said, Ascend is all about business, but this is an educational event. Uh, we really feel like you're going to learn practical business tactics that you can definitely capitalize on in this, uh, this changing landscape. And first and foremost, we understand that if you're going to go to a conference, it's got, you've got to have that ROI. And so we've got nine CEUs that PTs and OTs can actually earn while they're at Ascend. We also have a lot of networking um, time during Ascend so that you can mingle with lots of different thought leaders and your colleagues to, to really um, try to gain as much as possible out of some of the strategies that you might be uh, learning within uh, the conference itself. So what kind of topics should we expect to hear at the Ascend Business Summit? Compliance changes, of course. We're going to really drive home some, some important information around outcomes, uh, new PT and OT codes, the alternative payment system. We have a great presentation with, uh, which should be somewhat controversial. We've got all the different players who have opposing sort of uh, philosophies around the alternative payment models, which I think is going to be uh, some fireworks on stage, which I, I'm really excited about. Um, and then some of the payment ref payment reform and billing issues that we're we're all struggling with right now in private practice. So. It's going to be an awesome event, um, and I hope to see all of you there. Thanks, Heidi. I'm look, looking forward to that payment reform discussion since I'm moderating, so there should be plenty of fireworks. Again, please check out ascendevent.com. Type in Therapy Insiders for $100 off. Look forward to seeing you there. Let's do some networking. All right, let's jump back into this episode of Therapy Insiders with our guest, Justin Moore. 
Well, you know, for, first of all, you put a you put a ton of people in, in an anger state right now just by saying TSA. So good yeah. job on that. People are going to be listening to the rest of this podcast angry and raging. But aside aside from that, it, it, it makes it, that's a good point. And I, I know lately it's been kind of a balance, right? I mean, people complain about that the APTA doesn't do enough or that we don't hear about enough, which is which is true to some extent. There, there's more there's there's a lot of resources the APTA has that most people don't even know about, which is which mm-hmm. makes it tougher for value of membership but recently you started the very public the choose pt campaign against opioids which uh-huh. has gained a lot of traction right it, it, it's kind of helped bring things f- to the f- to the foreground of not only opioids but how physical therapists can be the the leaders in at least in in the multidisciplinary approach to helping with that um in, in terms of marketing and this is a kind of ties in with one of the questions we got from mark sealak he asked about vision for marketing for the profession and whether this is a APTA or a, or a PT business organization issue, but moving moving forward, what can we do, and wh- what is the APTA capable of? And this this is a pretty fine tuned. Um, or a distinction because the APT isn't supposed to do everything for us, right? As a profession, we're supposed to take charge and we're kind of passive in that regard. We're, we we talk about a lot of stuff. We know how great we are, but we don't take action. We, we need to take action. We need to get out there. So what can the APTA do? What can the profession do? What do we need to do to stop being passive, to stop being kind of closed off and just move forward together and and really go after the mass population? Well, Gene, I think you highlighted a, a big issue is I think APTA's role is to really try to unify and energize the physical therapy community. We represent a portion of that community, but we could be a great lever to help leverage the business community, the academic community, the excitement that we see from students every year, a very passionate community. We can uh, really serve a, an important role to both energize and convene that community and, and you know rally around common initiatives. Choose PT has become one of those initiatives. It's one of the things in the, in the time I've been at APTA that is really sort of starting to grab hold and unify different audiences at the chapter level. And to give you an example, we've really seen some of our chapters uh, take this campaign that we launched in June and do some great things with it. You know, in Oregon, we're seeing them participate in a, a forum with policymakers. Kentucky and Tennessee are, have done town halls. Um, New Hampshire is having a race for, or a run for recovery, uh, working with the other provider groups, with others in the interest. So we're really starting to see this Choose PT uh, leverage that role that APTA can have in convening different communities, but also facilitating um, people who are going to take it to the next step. We can't implement locally. You know, one of the things APTA doesn't practice, APTA is not physically located in all those states. What we can do is empower our members and empower those other clinicians to have that impact locally. And, we, you know, we have to get better at that and, and serve in that convener role. And, um, and we have to be a unifying force in the community. And that's something we not, haven't always done, um, but something we're taking very seriously at APTA is how do we get out of a we-they um, methodology where um, we're you know looking at these communities saying it's their responsibility to take care of this for po- this problem or it's our responsibility and how can we collectively come together uh, to solve the issues facing the profession. 
earlier, you really identified some of those that are, you know, they're how do we show the value of PT? How do we, you know, strengthen our identity with the public? How do we become more relevant uh, to other provider groups? And that's going to take a, a lot of effort of making sure that uh, we work across the different communities and stakeholders that exist in physical therapy. Um, you know, one of the questions you asked earlier is, you know, what's changed in physical therapy over the 17 years? Um, and I think this has sort of challenged APTA at times, but we have become, um, it, you know, more, there's more communities in physical therapy than there's ever been before. And, and you know, the student community is so much more robust than it was 15 years ago. I mean, they're not just a, a, a more robust community. Um, they're a force. Uh, they are changing the profession. Uh, we have a business community. Uh, we have a whole level of social engagement that's going on that is exciting in the profession. None of that existed 15 years ago. And so instead of seeing those communities as sort of competing for airtime or competing for resources, it re they really become extensions of a larger physical therapy community. And, and that's where we're looking for help, looking for ideas of how do we keep you know, the common mission uh, that all of us have, which is to promote physical therapy, to impact patients' life. How do we keep that at center so that we're all working, working on the same mission, but being able to be relevant to different audiences, depending on, you know, our focus, whether it's you, you at Therapy Insiders, whether it's the Alliance for Physical Therapy Quality and Innovation, whether it's the student assembly. Uh, we all have a role to play and how we can do that with a common mission is is sort of uh, front of our brain at all days. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like the new mission kind of as a unifying force, but, and I know you, you probably can't um, speak for the APTA uh, because I'm interested in what you think of this personally as well as an ortho PT, but you know, it seems like PTs, in terms of groups and factions, there are there's a faction out there that just loves to hate on dry needling, and every time someone posts a video or research on dry needling, the same groups of people and the same names keep on popping up on social media, and all they ever do is just bash it. I mean, what? What does the what do you think about that in terms of us sometimes being our own worst enemy? Well, I think it's I think our first step is to be very aware that that is a real threat to the profession and something we're constantly battling. Uh, you'll hear it in PT communities. We eat our young. Uh, we you know we're more interested in tearing ourselves down than building our community up. And so how we um, as a profession. Uh, take a hard look at, you know, how do we become better together and appreciate that we are a very diverse profession and that uh, in that diversity is strength, not sort of, I've got the right answer, you have the wrong answer. And um, that's, that's something of a maturation that we're seeing in the profession right now, is how do we take this diverse profession and make sure that we're all supporting the community and not pitting one fraction, one faction of the profession against the other. And you know, one of the challenges of physical therapy is we've had huge success in our history of being recognized in multiple settings and across the continuum of care. So as a profession, physical therapy ranges from pediatrics to geriatrics, and we practice in every setting 
under, you know, healthcare. So whether it's hospice, home care, private practice, and sometimes that has defined physical therapy. So it's been defined as the setting in which we practice, not the profession in which we practice. So one of my things we're always talking about is it's, you know, it's not home health or private practice physical therapy. It's physical therapy practiced in that setting. And how do we begin to change that dialogue? Um, and just again, full circle, language matters. Um, we saw that in the manipulation battle 15, you know, 17 years ago, where one profession thought that word was their domain, didn't understand that it was a continuum of interventions for physical therapy and that manipulation was part of a larger family of manual therapy, which was part of a larger family of, of you know, orthopedic um, musculoskeletal interventions. And um, we've seen that in, in PT. A lot of times uh, we fragment ourselves uh, versus focus on our commonalities. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, and it, it's not even it's not even the the disagreement or or bringing out other points. You know, not, not everyone has to agree with dry needling. Not everyone has to has to do it. It's great to have people that that look at research to critically analyze it and break it down. That that's important and that's crucial for growth and for fine tuning things like various techniques. But physical therapy is not a technique. Physical therapy is not defined by dry needling. Physical therapy is not defined by by exercise, by by manual therapy, it, it's it's a combination of everything, and it's this combination that makes us truly unique. And like you said, words matter, and that's something that we're ex especially um, really good at is building these instantaneous relationships with people in various states of pain that the last thing they want to do is some of the stuff that we're telling them to do. And, and, and it's really on us to use the best judgment to do that, whether it's, it's various techniques or not, that's up to the clinician and to the best to, to their capacity of knowledge to, to do something. And um, I think that that's the big issue comes when these disagreements go out of bounds and become personal and clouded. And like you said, we lose the, the commonality that drives all of us in which we want to help our communities get better, people get better, people to be healthier. And that gets lost on minutia and in egos and people just wanting to be right. And if, if we were that, if we were that aggressive and that active in our profession and moving it forward versus being passive, can you just imagine where we would be? Oh yeah. Carol, that's the, that's the quote of the night right there. It is. It's absolutely. We're, you know, depending on whose data you look at, we are now the sixth, seventh, or eighth largest provider group in the in the United States as individual identification. And so, obviously, a larger community of nurses, larger community of physicians. When you put put them at that broad category, but we're you know over two hundred thousand clinicians out there, and if we're spending more time competing inside our bubble of two hundred thousand, we're not going to have that impact on the larger health system because we're going to be arguing over which type of physical therapy is better than the other versus promoting that physical therapy is a vital part part of the healthcare system and delivers a value. And um, if we could, you know, sort of rally around that we're all in the same boat, uh, that we're all one community and that, that we, we've chosen the words better together, that if we could really leverage that, I, I just think, you know, the, the sky's the limit for the profession. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and to push that bubble forward, uh, we had a couple questions on direct access. So mm-hmm. Sandy Hilton at Sandy Hilton PT on Twitter asks, what's the plan for full unrestricted access in all states in order to, to even the field? And um, Luke Markert asked a similar question as how can the APTA help states that have that have not yet achieved direct access like Texas? Correct. It's a great question, and direct access continues to be a priority. Um, This is something that has actually sort of been both a success and a challenge for the profession. Um, As we have now some form of direct access in almost every state, Uh, it's a very loose term when you say some form, uh, because some states like Texas are extremely restricted. And so the goal for APTA when they started this initiative back in 1979 was to get some level of direct access in all 50 states. And now that we've achieved that, the goal is not to stop, but to continue and to remove that restriction. Uh, The great news is we've seen states, uh, some states have gone back multiple times with fairly restrictive direct access and are starting to remove those restrictions. What do you find are some barriers to getting direct access? Like if some states have direct access, doesn't that set enough precedent in other states to get that accomplished? Yeah, we're sort of, you're sort of in the first stages of seeing the reverse flow of direct access. And what I mean on that is for 34 years as we achieved direct access, each state that came on board, so you know this from being in Maryland, is Maryland state had a great direct access state. They were number one, two, or three, depending on how you define it, of achieving direct access. And some of those states that got it achieved early had the best laws. They were very, it basically just removed uh, the referral requirement. As we marched down that path over 34 years, each state that got some form of direct access got a more restricted form of direct access. And so eventually, the states that were at the end of that, you know, 50 state march were sort of getting direct access in, in theory um, or in the, tr- the trial uh, version. Yeah, they were sort of getting it direct access in 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 I don't direct access in words only. Uh, it didn't have any practical apl- uh, application. Um, two things have started to reverse that flow. First is payers are recognizing it. So we have seen greater and greater commercial payers recognize that the referral as a cost containment mechanism is not effective and frankly is probably counterintuitive. That is due to a lot of the investments of APTA and the private practice section of funding research with commercial payers to show that direct access saves money. The second thing is that it's as healthcare has changed over the last decade is there's a better recognition that um, getting people access to highly qualified individuals is important across all states. And so we've seen generally access to a whole group of providers increase, whether it's nurse practitioners or PAs. And we're sort of part of that where we're seeing states be able to go back and remove restrictions because they proved to be safe, they proved to be effective. And we've seen states um, be able to, you know, get better access. Um, We do have some big challenges. We have states such as Texas, which is obviously one of the larger states in the country, where the opposition to 
reversing that trend is significant. Uh, they're one of the strongest medical communities in that state and one of the strongest, um, you know, of basically holding the line to say in Texas, we're not going to let the trend that we're seeing nationally um, happen in our state. And fortunately, our Texas chapter has, you know, strong leadership, uh, a unified community. And as they continue to build that unified community in Texas, I, you know, I believe they're doing everything they can to sort of come up, rise above uh, that opposition we're seeing, um, specifically in that state from the physician community. That's funny. Is trend your word, or do they really call it a trend when it's like ninety percent of the rest of the states, <laughs> yeah, or more? Yeah, there. You know, it's really um, we're we're down to which is great for us because it sort of allows us to focus on some of the states that are more restricted um, versus you know in in the eighties and nineties it was sort of all the chapters were you know the chapters were you know every year there were 10, 15 states introducing direct access and they were pretty much going it themselves. You know, we give a little support from an APTA national. Um, it's getting to be more of a national effort to help some of these states um, that are sort of uh, feeling the opposition of, of, you know, centralized opposition. We need to have centralized uh, support. Do you think that part of that, because I, I would tell my patients sometimes about issue, these issues before New York got it in 2005 or six, and they couldn't believe that we didn't have direct access at the time, and, and other people did, like, say, massage therapists. Like, anyway, like, what if I just want to pay you? Like, they always think it's about money. I'm like, no, even if you wanted to pay me, I couldn't accept your money. Because mm -hmm. um, at the time, we actually only had direct access evaluation, but I couldn't treat you, which was ridiculous until we finally got it. But do you, do you think that part of it is also that the only people who really seem to want in our profession are in outpatient uh, and, it, it, and it doesn't necessarily matter to those who are in acute care or home care or, you know, because it's, it's only a, a certain portion that would actually affect, you know, of our actual profession. Do you think that's, that's an issue at all? I think at times it has been an issue, but I think more and more it's an issue of, of limited understanding of direct access. And, and you guys can think of this in a cl clinical environment, but even if you practice in a hospital, the need to be able to collaborate sort of uh, needs to be, the, or the ability to be part of a team, you still need to be able to contribute without having to get a referral. So if you're, you know, doing a, a co, you know, a pediatric physical therapist in a school system is in the classroom with an OT. If the OT is allowed to provide interventions without a referral, but the PT has to go away, get a referral and get permission, uh, that doesn't enhance teamwork and help you serve the patient. And so the biggest uh, dynamic we're seeing is that direct access matters whether you're an independent practitioner who is seeing patients that come directly to you or whether you're participating in a team uh, of healthcare or in a medical home or in a school-based setting or in a home health setting is the referral can sort of be an administrative burden that delays care or that essentially will limit your ability to participate as that uh, individual or as a member of a team. And I think that understanding is only going to grow as we see more um, multidisciplinary care, as we see more um, collaboration across healthcare providers. I mean, we, I would guess in the future, physical therapists, you know, 
15, 20 years ago, 90% of the population came to physical therapists through physicians. As we have a more consumer-directed healthcare system, you're going to see referrals to physical therapy from a lot of different healthcare providers. You're going to see them from dietitians. You're going to see them from nurse practitioners, from PAs. You're going to see them from health coaches. Um, and you know the referral requirement is sort of a barrier to that interprofessional collaboration as much as it is just a consumer issue uh, from that standpoint. Well, we also got to we got to force the hand, right? It's we we need to be so vocal about how we can help, and I think it's 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 gotten a lot better over the last five years because, like you said, of the communication um, elements with social media, it's it, it's saying that we're good at a lot of things, and even though we don't have one thing, which is like I said, it's a good thing because we can do a bunch of things. We're not really good at saying that we're good at doing a bunch of things or what we're good at. We don't have, we don't have this, we don't have this kind of message or, or we don't have our thing yet defined. And I think that at least the more that people know that we can at least help, we, we can help with pain. We can help with exercises. We can help with some performance things. And the more we push out there, the more we're on the forefront, the more we're on social media and, and mass media, like Kelly Starrett and, uh, and, um, Sandra or, um, Stefania Bell, you know, the more that we're pushing and people know, Oh, wow. They see videos on Instagram, you know, like the prehab guys are doing cool stuff. The barbell physio is doing cool stuff. Mitch Babcock, you know, um, John Russell, these guys are pushing stuff forward that are physical therapists. People are like, oh wow, I didn't know a physical therapist can do that, and they and, and become saturated in a good way that physical therapists are are leading the charge with so many things that when people go see their their physician or where they're doing personal training or doing something like that, and they go, you know, my my back's been hurting or my knee's hurting me, and they're whoever goes, oh here's here's this prescription or try this, and the, and the person goes, you know, I saw a physical therapist do this, and they're like, oh wow, that that's kind of cool, and it just keeps going, and and that kind of that kind of momentum, I think, is, is something that will really be pushing us forward. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, one of our challenges is we have a very diverse practice setting and that diversity is not going to go away. Um, there are so many innovative PTs out there that are pushing the ceiling higher uh, for the profession. And uh, as they recognize new practice environments, as they recognize new ways to deploy our expertise, um, we're going to see physical therapy constantly be challenged by not being able to be put in a nice little box. And it's sort of the paradox of this identity problem that the profession has. Uh, as we're constantly evolving, um, it, our identity is also evolving. And so putting us in a box doesn't really work. Um, it, you know, we're seeing people constantly challenge that physical therapy is X. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's exciting for us. I mean, who would have thought that we would be, you know, on the front edge of PTs being deployed inside of or embedded in military units? Who would have thought that we would have been, you know, a, an injury analyst on ESPN? Who would have thought that we would have, you know, been the experts in, you know, direct, you know, corporate-based workplace wellness? And it, it's exciting. We have PTs practicing in more settings and in more venues than than we've ever seen and that's exciting that that if that doesn't get you excited for this profession I mean, 
all, all the research, all the data has shown over the last years, I think physical therapy is supposed to grow like 34% over the next eight years or something like that in terms of jobs. I mean, it's, it's an insanely growing profession. And, um, I, I talk about in, in our mentorship group and, um, on our you know, private Facebook group that we do for entrepreneurship that if you want to get into business, out of all the things that you can do if you're a physical therapist, opening up a physical therapy clinic is probably one of the safest business bets that you can make. As long as you're not a complete idiot in business and then you do some research and then you talk to the right people. I mean, people will come to you if you just use the basic, the bare minimum social media competency and, and create some kind of digital footprint. Like people, people will come to you and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's just there that you have to do it. And we just have to get past ourselves and our fears and, and this, this cloud of, I don't know, or it's never been done or not. These people are doing it, but I can't, which is not the case. And it, the more we do that, just, just the foundations get stronger and stronger. And then we could finally build more and more on it. Well said. Uh, you know, this, the theme of being our own enemy is is sort of key. And, and you know, obviously our antidote to that is to, to be better together. But um, if you go to a PT conference, you hear the, that, you know, the next three years, we're going to see the death of PT business. And you talk to, you know, you'll hear that inside a PT conference where all the PTs are speaking. And I'll get a phone call from a financial analyst the next day that says PT is one of the best business opportunities they've seen. And so this irony of everyone outside of PT is looking at this great profession who's really established itself is on the trajectory of the future of healthcare, but inside the profession, it is sort of doom and gloom. And we have to fight that because, I mean, I know it's tough out there for practices. It's, you know, the administrative burden, the rate of payment, all these things are challenging our practitioners, but we still have a great message of where healthcare is going and how we fit. And we gotta be careful not to beat ourselves up. And the other irony that I always is kind of seeing this is there are 20 other professions trying to be like physical therapy. And, uh, and we need to appreciate what we've achieved over the last 94, 95 years, uh, because we have really established ourselves as a profession who's, you know, licensed in all 50 states, practice authority in multiple different healthcare settings. There are 20 professions out there that are, that are looking to do exactly what we've done as this profession. And uh, we need to take some time and, and, and be proud of what a lot of leaders way before my time have really established for us. And that is a, a foundation on which we can take our profession in a lot of different routes. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned doom and gloom, and I agree with that. I think there is there's plenty of doom and gloom for this profession, and it, it, it is going to die. But it's it's going to die with the physical therapy that was. The physical therapy that was and the people that, that ran or, or treated and, and thought kind of the old school, that's dying out. And, and for good reason, that should die out. The new profession, I think we're going through a metamorphosis now. And as, as it grows, that's why there, there's a lot of that divide because we still have a lot of those clinicians, not all of them. I don't want to stereotype. This is not by age. This is more by mindset. The mindset of, of physical therapy, the old school mindset that it's referral based, that people will just come in, that we'll do, um, you know, we'll do a couple 
treatments. We'll do a couple hands-on things and we'll get them out. That that's not, that's not it anymore. And as technology evolves, as social media evolves, as, as physical therapy becomes part of the community, part of the fiber of healthcare, that's, that's the, the future. That's the way we're going. And the, the, the clinicians that can't wrap their mind around that, that It would, it would never achieve an outcome if we spent our time protecting the practice of yesterday. And if we spent all our time protecting what existed and what was economically feasible 10 years ago, we would be the only industry that's doing that. Uh, the game is to position your practice and your, in your profession for the market and for the environment of tomorrow. And that's, you know, I grew up in public policy, so, you know, you're not writing policies for the law that needs to be today. You're writing them for the future. You're writing them for future generations. And that, you know, that is core to what we do as an association. It's positioning the profession for its tomorrow, not protecting its yesterday. And we have a great yesterday. It's it's established a fabulous foundation, um, but that yesterday is really just to springboard us to tomorrow. You got that person in the future. The future. The future. Yeah, Gene and I have been talking the future a lot lately. Yes. Um, yeah, I wanted to make a comment about that before I got to another reader's or another listener's question. But uh, I was just I was just thinking as you guys were talking that really the death of PT is is really just the death of the mill or the death the death of passive care, the death of two three times a week until you just stop going, you know, you talk to, you talk to someone's like, yeah, yeah, I was in PT. I just kind of like stopped going after five or six months. I'm thinking like, yeah, I would have stopped going after five or six months too. It's kind of like just go to the same restaurant two or three times a week for five or six months. You just get sick of it, even if it was amazing. So, you know, except Chipotle. I, you never get sick of Chipotle. <laughs> no, I, you can go several times a week, right? Triple meat a day. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the PTs, especially a lot of the guys in social media, and I'm sure um, a lot who we're not aware of, uh, we're just embracing new business opportunities. You know, we have wellness, PTs in a gym, different business models where you're not practicing in a typical brick and mortar space. You don't even have a lease. Like I, I don't have a lease at any of the places I practice out of. I'm just happy to have my IP there, you know, and I think that's, that PTs can add a lot to a business, but. Um, what, what did you pee on? Sorry, what? My IP, intellectual property. Oh, okay. You, you yes. got to clarify that stuff first, and you say something like with a P and IP, and people don't know that. <laughs> or IPA, I'm thirsty. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to get to this question, too, because I've always wondered this, and I've always been a staunch proponent, and I tell everyone and all my students, um, you know, you have to join the APTA, and they're doing a lot of things behind the scenes, because everyone else says that they're complaint is they're not doing enough or I don't feel like paying and um, but Joe Lipsky asks why is membership such an issue like what have you heard I know Gene and Ben you know did like a informal thing but I'm sure you you've been at the APTA for 18 years what have you heard over the years you know, what we hear a lot of times is the value question is I'm paying X dollars. I'm not feeling that dollar back in benefit. And, um, you know, I think that's one, you know, we have to be better at, at showing that value equation. But 
better than that, we have to be this community that people go to. And so that they see us, uh, regardless of what community, sub-community they're a part of, that APTA is going to facilitate them at, at being a better clinician, of being a better business person, of being a better researcher. And if we can't make APTA membership relevant to each clinician and their unique needs, uh, we will always be challenged by um, the, the membership question. And, you know, the model that APTA has is a volunteer membership. And, you know, and in some respects, we run around the same as other associations with volunteer membership at about a third market share, 30% market share. Uh, associations that have higher market share generally have it um, due to essentially either a service or a credential that requires membership. And so you get a higher market share, you don't necessarily get a community with that. And I think if you ask me my, uh, my preference, I would rather have an engaged community of, of members and be relevant to that engaged community than sort of have a, uh, a portion of our membership just passive because they have to be members. And so I kind of look at it as, uh, you know, I like the volunteer member model. I think it, it makes us have to constantly um, try to figure out what's relevant to the clinicians. Um, and, you know, the, the concept of having golden handcuffs that tie people to membership, well, although great from a, a revenue source and, and we wouldn't turn one down, uh, don't get me wrong, um, I would rather earn my members uh, and do that in a productive fashion than sort of have people feel obligated that they have to be a member. And that, that's sort of, you know, um, something that I always look at in membership. If we can grow market share, but also get engagement and get a sense of community and a sense of relevance um, and become that unifying force, um, I think that's what uh, what people aren't feeling, why membership becomes the symptom we talk about versus the real issue of how do we become more relevant? How do we create a, a sense of engagement a sense of community around our professional association. Yeah, that's, in terms of that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. What are some? Sorry, Jane. Um, yeah. In terms of engagement, is there any like is there any way that you've ever tried to reach out to members to show them all the things that their dollars are paying for, like an infographic that's available on the site or via an email or even like, hey, this quarter your membership dollars went to this, this, and this. That almost, was actually a like question that. by Eric Ovegas, Eric at Eric at America. He asked, could APTA publish distribution of membership funds because he thinks it would help decrease hesitation and increase membership? Yeah, That's it's a great, it's a great question. question. There have been multiple efforts over many years to try to show that dollar value of membership. And there were, you know, icons that were put on social media that showed, you know, what what it compares to, uh, what its value is. Our annual report has, over. if you went back and looked at the last 10 annual reports, um, they have showed how dues dollars or how the revenue that APTA makes is divided into different programs. Um, so there's sort of been efforts to show where the dollar where dues dollars are going um, but I don't think it's meaningful to the end user right now and so we have to figure out a way to both communicate where dues dollars are going and do it in new and innovative ways um, so it's it's been done but we could always improve how we're doing it and look at new ways to do that and um, and you know the, I think the 
it's a great question and but I think when it comes back down to it how do we show um, relevance how do we show engagement um, is probably more important that 43% and, and a, this is an arbitrary number or a certain percentage of membership are going to lobbying a certain percentage are going to this because that just is going to show sort of activity and where we really need to mo move to is to show impact so regardless of how much we're spending that we are changing and positioning the profession uh, I think that will become more relevant to members than the percentage of our dues dollars that are dedicated to PR, to advocacy, to continuing education and conferences. And so I look at it as how do we begin to show our impact uh, as much as how we show where we're distributing our resources. And that's important because that helps that helps bring the conversation as it should to value versus cost. What what Correct. is the cost? When somebody talks about cost, they very obviously do not see a value in something. Nobody nobody talks about the cost of an iPhone or the cost of an Apple MacBook. And if they do, that's not really Apple's target audience anyway. They they don't see the value of owning something that is simple, that is powerful, that that is just easy to use and has and brings a lot of a lot of uh, return for for the user. Um, and that's, you know, if, if you just focus on pricing, I agree with you, but it might be nice for some people to have that. Yeah. I think it's something we have to do. And I think we have a responsibility of APTA as stewards of those member dollars to give them the information of where their dollars are going. Uh, they're stakeholders, they're investors in APTA. And as those investors and stakeholders in APTA, they need that basic level of transparency and stewardship. But I think when we're really going to move the needle, is when we show the impact that a dollar of dues is going to have a greater impact than just how that dollar is divided up. That a dollar invested is going to get a $3 return or a $10 return. And if we can switch that conversation into, you know, uh, that one-on-one -on -one to a one equals, you know, 10, um, then we start talking about value relevance versus just those basic qualities, which are extremely important. Uh, and we take very serious is transparency and stewardship. And that's, that's very important. I mean, we, we, that was one of the biggest things we pointed out in the video is the transparency piece. And one, one of the biggest groups that you mentioned that that's critical and that's a, a strength of ours and obviously relates really well to the future is the DPT students. And I completely agree with you. Every single year, the engagement, the, the passion, the drive, the excitement that they have is, is always one up. Like I, I always tell whenever I present for students is that their their one superpower is their their unbridled excitement and anticipation for something they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to do and because that's going to get beat out of them real quick no matter how excited you are when life starts it's it, it always hits you in the mouth like you, you're still be excited obviously but it's always it's it's not the same as you are now which uh, which is, which is something that that needs to be harnessed and, and directed towards something and obviously Obviously, the, the APTA membership is really important, and a lot of them are a bit a little bit bitter sometimes because schools force them to be members, which, like you said, that's not the best way to go about it. Um, but we did have a question from um, Alan Frendendall. He asked, um, students consistently make up 33% or more of membership body. Why do they not have a HOD vote? 
that's, a, you know, I, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, the the determination of who votes in the House of Delegates is a member decision uh, done through that body. And so they would they would have to go through the established process of the association to get that. Uh, that's something, you know, I'll speak from a staff member. We don't make those determinations. Those are, you know, part of the member-driven of association that is uh, the student community grows. Um, having a vote in that body is something that the members of this association will determine over time. And uh, that's why we have our House of Delegates. That's why we have that governance structure is it really allows us to both evolve and to consider issues as the profession changes. And earlier in the conversation, we talked about what has been the major, some of the major changes over the 17 years that I've been at APTA. Uh, I, the student engagement is night and day from when I started on staff. I went to a student conclave in my first year on staff. It was in you know a suburban hotel. It was high energy, maybe a couple hundred uh, physical therapist students that were mostly local were participating in that event. I hadn't been back to a student conclave until I went last fall to the one in Omaha, Nebraska, and it is, it, it is one of the most energetic, most uh, engaged meetings that I've seen. And I go to other association meetings and I go to you know meetings inside the association. And um, as we have evolved, that student community is, is gotta be leveraged um, in different and new and innovative ways because they are, and you've seen it, they've done flash action strategies. And I have told this story to students all the time. We had a researcher at one point look at who are strong grassroots organizations and in healthcare and APTA made the top 25 and we were, you know, we were impressed. We, we were happy with that. And one of the facts that made put us into that top 25 was we were generating more emails from APTA members to Capitol Hill than a lot of organizations in town. And our number was we were generating about 25,000 emails to Capitol Hill uh, in a calendar year. And that put us in the top 25 of healthcare organizations. Two or three years ago, Matt DeBull and the Student Assembly Board uh, did a flash action strategy. They did 22,000 emails in 72 hours. <laughs> Think of that. We were, we were considered a top 25 healthcare organizations in the last decade by generating 25,000 emails in a calendar year. The students came up with a different approach, a new innovative approach, and generated 22,000 in 72 hours. That's what we have to tap. That sense of community, that energy, and that ability to change the game uh, and scale at a different level um, sort of was, in some ways, a, a cold glass of water to the face. In some ways, wow, we can do things that we've never really thought were possible. That's a lot of skin in the game, though, for students. They, they, they are kind of blindly working, investing time and money and God knows how long. Like I, I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist when I was in high school. So that, that I had a lot of years that I had to that I had to confidently invest and put down through college, not just money, but time and work to be in a profession that I would be proud of and excited about and and, and make a career out of. So if students don't have that kind of vision and, and or passion, and I'd say probably 97% of them do, then they 
shouldn't mean the profession, uh, but like you said, the, the vast majority of them are so driven and, and so proud of a profession they haven't even started. It, 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 if we don't harness that, then we are doing it, our profession and these students a huge disservice. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that is unique about students that I think we have to translate to our rank and file members and our clinicians across the country is they have two things that really um, make them have 80% market share in this association. They have a sense of community. Uh, they connect with their peers. They have that sense of community. The second thing is they see action in their in participation in their professional association as an investment. They have spent, just like you said, they have spent their lives up to that part preparing themselves to join a profession. And so they're in the investment stage. They're looking to how do I, how do I invest so that when I complete this degree, it has value in the market. What we have and we go out and, and get in the clinic, we start to look at the association not as an investment, but as a withdrawal. What am I getting from the association? What am I, what I've invested, what can I now take out? And that's an important element for us. We want people to get benefit from us and be able to withdraw when they need us. But, you know, that's that sense of a constant investment that will make us a robust association. Awesome. Well, I, th I think that's a pretty good, pretty good way to close it out. Uh, I just looked at, at our, our timer. We've been talking over an hour and I feel like we're just, we're just getting started. So it's been an awesome conversation. We'll have to get you back and talk about some more stuff. Like I got to um, payment things that might, might interest a few people. Yeah, that would be, I'd be, um, you know, it might not be me. It might be somebody who uh, knows that area better, but uh, we're, you know, happy to continue to, you know, this is what's exciting about what you guys are doing and, and what's going on in a lot of the different social media space. There are multiple channels for PTs to engage and they're not all through APTA. And so, uh, and you know, what you guys are doing are, are reaching new and, and innovative audiences and we'd be happy to be a part of that. Awesome. Appreciate that. Urs, any closing thoughts? No, I think it was great to hear um, your transitions, the APTA's transitions, and how, you know, what your plans are to engage. Because I think engagement is huge. Obviously, you know, Gene and I live for engagement, our business, various businesses do, and it's huge. And, and you almost have to look forward and, and not, uh, like you said, you can't advocate for the past. Well, and it's, it's been a, a pleasure to join you and, and let me know if there's anything you need, but uh, um, I'm nervously excited about this new opportunity, but I also know uh, uh, that it's, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to be innovative and engaging as we move forward. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a ton of potential, a um, ton of excitement. It's, it's, it's a great place to be and um, I think you're you're in a good place, and we we look forward to to seeing you kind of lead lead the APT and uh, into bigger, better things, and get everyone everyone going together. And we're, we're definitely happy to support any way we can. Awesome! All right, students, if you're not already a member and listeners, join now. That's my closing thoughts. Well, after they're done listening, but like <laughs> soon soon after they're done listening. Okay, yes. Not right now. Finish listening, then join. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Therapy Insiders Podcast with the CEO of the APTA, Justin Moore. 
told you we were going to cover a lot of topics, and I think we did. We went over a ton in terms of direct access, the position of the APTA, the students, our, our field, the physical therapy field, in the grand scheme of medicine, and the evolution that it's going through right now, the metamorphosis, which I think is, is critical, and to understand the possibility and the, the excitement that needs to be in this profession, because it is one of the best jobs and careers in the U.S. If you read most magazines that publish these findings, it's not just us, but we're just really good at telling ourselves that it's really good. Now, it's time to take the message to the masses. Who's with me?